0: This is episode 16 of the Think Data podcast in partnership with DataWorks. On today's show, I'm really pleased to welcome Irene Bratzis. Irene is the Director of Digital Product and Data for the International Wellbeing Institute. She is the author of the AI Product Manager's Handbook, as well as the New York City Co-Lead for Women in Data. And also, she's the moderator of the Women in AI Why Talks seems like you have a huge amount on your plate and obviously really appreciate you taking the time to speak. Do you mind uh, giving everyone who's listening kind of a bit of a background to you because you've come from a pretty non-classic data background from originally in sales to then find yourself in uh, data product management. How did, how did that come about?
1: Thank you so much for having me on, Alex. Um... Well, I've, I've been working in tech for a long time. So I've been in tech for about 13 years. Uh, and yeah, uh, front of house before I was an account manager and sort of straddled between account management and sales for quite a number of years. Um, but I worked uh, for a few years at uh, Experian Data Quality. So we were always talking about data and big data was, you know, the the theme of those years when I was there. And so uh got familiarity with you know, what are some of the traditional issues that come up, um, as far as data quality goes and the importance of data quality, um, you know, when you're just trying to run a business and, you know, leverage data for, for decision-making and, and things like that. Um, and then when I was at, uh, Tesla really, um, I felt that the world was changing and the landscape was changing quite a bit. And although I was already familiar with some of the concepts, I didn't have a lot of applied knowledge um, of what was going on under the hood. Let's say when we're talking about machine learning or we're talking about data at scale. Um, so that that's kind of what kicked off my upskilling journey. And um, yeah, it's it it set me on a new career path uh, that's been really exciting and and has actually produced a lot in in my life you know not just career wise but also um has expanded me you know a, a, as an individual too um so it's it's been a journey <laughs>
0: certainly has and i think the kind of whole premise behind uh the podcast was obviously after a number of years in the talent and staff and we were always getting asked by people who are either trying to break into the space and just simply saying what do i need to do uh what, what kind of courses do i need to take how do i become a data engineer or a data analyst, or it's the people who are in a role in maybe another substrate of data saying, how do I transition into a new part? So you're probably a living proof that there really isn't that kind of one size fits all to that career. Jenny, I know you talked about Tesla and obviously prior to that, when kind of data was at the forefront of a lot of the discussions you were having, was there any part of those discussions which... You know put you off from a technical standpoint did you suddenly think well how am i going to delve into data or is it really did you throw yourself in and just kind of learn on the fly i guess
1: i did throw myself in uh but i will say i you know i've always been a people person uh and for a long time in my career uh, i worked closely with professional services with engineering um and so I was aware of, you know, like systems integrators and kind of the issues they come into, um, you know, when they're migrating or adopting new new technology and, and things like that. Um, I worked for many years in the tech, uh, translation technology space, which was heavily involved with professional services and establishing workflows and things like that. But yeah, part of the discomfort I was describing before was not being familiar and and also having a barrier to, to learning how to code you know so mm. for me it was like i my skill set is is people uh, oriented tasks and and work streams and uh yeah i definitely had that blockage of like i'm not the technical person you know that's not for me uh and i think part of that is learned you know it, it's gendered but uh the other part of that is um you know this is my natural skill set I'm, I'm really good at working with people um So I had to kind of overcome that internal hurdle. And the only way I was able to do that was by jumping in because, um, when something is intimidating and you're, you know, the whole concept of it feels, uh, inaccessible to you, um, I think you know, depending on your personality, for mine, it's pretty well suited to just jump in, become as familiar as possible. And so when I was thinking about my career change, because because even though I've been working in tech for a long time, it still is considered a career change. You know, it's basically mm-hmm. starting from scratch, uh, adopting new skills, and then you're struggling to try to find the tr- what are the translatable skills, you know, and how do I get that first or second job? And then from there, it's it's certainly much easier. Um so yeah, basically the first thing I did was I went to the open data science conference here in New York. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, and, and I was messaging people on LinkedIn because I'm pretty comfortable with reaching out to strangers and asking yeah. them to, to help me, uh, and to tell me about their experience. So I did a lot of research on my own and at the time my you know, my goal was I want to be a data scientist. I want to learn data science. And so, uh, I went to the open data science conference to see who's, who's, who, what are they talking about? What are the workshops about? You know, what are the big issues uh, in mm. the field? Uh, and then, um, and then I did like different certificates and and things just to like learn SQL, get familiar with Python, eventually did boot camp. Boot Bootcamp was, you know, an aggressive nine month schedule of working on my own machine learning projects, building up my portfolio, making connections in the space, Um, so I approached it pretty aggressively, you know, on the technical side of like learning the skills and adopting the skills. And then on the interpersonal side of meeting people and creating that network, um, which, you know, from sales and and account management is, you know, I I was very aware of how important that is. Um, which is why I, I spend so much time now, like volunteering and nurturing these communities so that people don't have to like. Have to figure it, it out by themselves, you know. Like they, they know that mm. there's a nurturing community that exists. Um, particularly if you're a person that feels like you're not, you know, you're not technical. Uh, yeah. Anyone can learn that, you know. It's just like a, anyone can learn to play a musical instrument if they have the interest, or learn a language. You know, it's the same way.
0: Yeah, and no, no, I really like that. And it, I think it was our second episode. Actually, we were talking to two people who founded the Data Careers Summit um really interesting people and they they said two of the things you just mentioned there about the power of networking and the power of kind of putting yourself out of your comfort zone and obviously you know getting in those networks in-person events and networking hopefully are are coming back with a vengeance now so you know if anyone's listening to this who is kind of thinking oh it, it may be not for me go and speak to people who are doing it you know go and actually understand what it takes do some you know, build up your portfolio, have some fun with it, because fundamentally, if you're interested enough to want to try, then, you know, at least give it a go.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, you know, data, the the data scientist position got a lot of press and a lot of excitement, you know, for, yep. for a lot of years. And um, when people ask, like, you know, what's the what's the language I need to know? Or what's the tool I need to know? And it's like, all of that's kind of secondary. You know, Mm. the the first part is exactly that, have fun with it, you know? um, Do data analysis and do, you know, make your data products um, be something that you care about because, when you're early starting out, it's really hard. Uh, you're competing with a global marketplace, first of all. You're, especially when you're starting out, you don't have the skills, you don't have the experience. So, really, all you have is your passion, um, the skills you've acquired during your program, uh, whatever domain knowledge you have. So, you know, it's like, yeah, capitalize on that, you know? Um, like my first job, I got it because one of the data products I made was uh, a market. Um, analysis, uh, basically like a calculator that would help you determine whether you should buy or rent in a specific market. So, okay. uh, and I did that for my personal life <laughs> and I've always been interested in real estate. So, uh, that's, you know, that was a project that I did and I ended up getting my first job because of that. Uh, so I ended up working for a property tech company that was a machine learning company. And that was one of the reasons, you know, it, it I had that interest and I I had those skills and I was working with the machine learning team um, at that company. And, you know, so so I always tell people, like, lead with what you're actually interested in and have fun with it because Mm -hmm. you're just doing it because you just need to get this this title or you need to be in this field because of our, you know, lifestyle reasons. Let's say Um, that's fair enough. I mean, this is work. We work. We exchange yeah. time and abilities for money. So there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but you, you can find more opportunities when you're actually leading with your own personal interests.
0: Yeah. Uh, thanks for that. I think it's some really interesting points. And you're obviously currently the director of digital data and product for the International Wellbeing Institute. First and foremost, who are they and why does data play such a kind of integral part to their kind of future?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the Well Building Institute is a um – Basically, a building standard uh, that's rooted in wellness. So, we have 10 concepts, 12 concepts um, that we center our standard around. Um, and some of those are physical things. Like, if you've heard of LEED, um, it's, it's similar. So, uh, with LEED, it's more of the physical aspects of building. So, you're building materials, the quality. Um, you know, with us, it's, uh, it's that plus, um, I guess, more cerebral concepts around like, positive mind practices positive community practices um, and it's heavily rooted in ESG so it's for it's for businesses that want to prove that they're building sustainably they're building with the future in mind they're building with wellness as a foundational part of the um, how people interact in their spaces um and we get a lot of data actually so it's Mm. it's all the data we get from our from our standard itself it's sensor data that we get um because you have to prove certain things um we have a whole network of uh you know our uh affiliate you know professional network which is um architects and builders that um will, will essentially get their degrees with our practices in mind um and we're actually the only company out there that um, creates the standard uh, in a way that's heavily rooted in in research. So um, it's a very unique opportunity. You know, we have research data, we have actual usage data, we have sensor data, we have data on our all our customers, uh, of course, and how they're progressing through our program. And digital products for us is essentially the online experience of the standard itself. So all the folks that have to you know, especially if it's ESG, it's people on in many levels that are interacting with their progress. And in many cases, um, companies will actually purchase our standard before they even start building. Uh, so, you know, it's not until you, you actually complete your project and people actually occupy that space that we consider it as part of the, you know, uh, part of our metrics.
0: 'Cause I know obviously ESG and sustainability is, is gathered well over the last couple of few years now it's gathered such momentum. So is effectively the your business is there to provide what the framework, the support to ensure that they are delivering a sustainable either building but also wrapped around in kind of a process and a yeah, I suppose it's a it's a complete wraparound solution for building, I guess, is is what they are.
1: Yeah. And we we also have ratings. So because of COVID, actually, one of the responses to that was for us to create the health safety rating. Um, this year we launched the equity rating. Um, so we, we do, a kind of, um, yeah, there's ratings, there's the actual certification. So you can get bronze, gold, silver, uh, platinum. And then, um, and then we have what's called well at scale, which is like kind of our, Subscription program. So you could, you could, you know, if you're a big enough organization, you might be pursuing a variety of ratings or a variety of certification programs at scale uh, for your whole organization. So we we've recently offered that too.
0: Yeah, super unique. It's not something we you uh, see all the time, but it's certainly needed. And obviously, ESG is the probably most commonly known. Uh, kind of entity, but the fact that you're you're focused so much and it is, yeah, super interesting. And obviously you are in a product role at the moment, um, and obviously kind of wearing to your of the digital product, but obviously tying data into that. And we've seen huge uplift uh in a the interest and demand for dedicated product owners or product managers within data and AI. Why do you think that is? Why do you think all of a sudden I think probably last 18 months, two years there's been a real rise in the popularity of that job function, well, why do you think that is such a in-demand space right now?
1: I mean, because this is a this is a global change. This is a a, a revolution, if you want to mm. call that. Uh, you know, companies are going to have to get serious about how they're leveraging their data and how they're leveraging AI. Um, you know, if you look at projections and in, in research, and actually, there's there's a chapter in my book about what is the research saying about this industrial revolution you know and it it it's a big tide so it it's going to get to the point where yeah companies that are leveraging data and ai in a in a way that that's actually serving them uh will outperform companies that don't you know and So, yes, there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of buzz about it. And you could call it like a VC bubble that's kind of bursting this year, actually. (laughs) Uh, But that doesn't mean that it's going to stop. This is still going to this is a um, this is a long wave. Uh, So, yeah, there's going to be a need, much like you saw product managers kind of starting to get popularized like maybe eight years ago, Mm -hmm. you know, before traditionally tech companies. Um, you know, big tech companies that would have product managers, and now you see product managers all over the place. Um, so now you're going to start to see more specialization about product managers that understand AI infrastructure, understand data, um, because because it's it's a it's a big wave that's going to necessitate that from a lot of companies that want to compete and want to stay competitive in their markets.
0: Yeah, I think you're probably hitting the nail on the head there. I think what we've seen is that real you know, dedicated subject matter expert as owning those roadmaps, owning those deliverables, who has that kind of, uh, that knowledge of a specific domain. What we've seen, however, is a, you've got AI, which obviously is this kind of broader term, then within them, you have the, also your subsections, computer vision, NLP, you've got, and the, almost the requirements now have become so niche and so specific, um, yeah. that that is created its own kind of, mini market you know it's it's so in demand so uh, you you actually referenced just then you obviously wrote uh, a product manager's handbook which i will make sure we tag into the comments before we uh when we launch but what fundamentally was the aim of that book in your eyes and, and what made you want to write it because as my kind of intro said you've got a huge amount on your on your plate at the moment so what made you want to write a product manager's handbook
1: um I think this actually goes back to your last question of of why is it important um a lot can go wrong i mean you're you're talking about if you're leveraging machine learning then you have a lot of data and you have to store that data you have to you have to um kind of do your trial and error of how you're going to build your product and what models are you actually going to employ even if you're not running models and even if you're not deploying them um you're still like you still have to store all that data and and store it in a way where you're planning for future growth. And so rather than having to have all this technical debt of going back and reorganizing things, like that's very expensive for a company to do, Mm. Um, especially when departments are relying on data. So, you know, for instance, if you're in a situation where you're, maybe migrating to a different database or migrating to a different bi tool even like those processes take a long time and create a lot of um can create a lot of just dysfunction in in the company so to have someone that understands that i mean as a product manager you are uh you know you're tasked with the commercial success of your product whatever that is so you're thinking about all the risks that might, um, impede that commercial success, but you're also, um, you know, you're the organizer of the resources in a way. So what is engineering going to build? What does leadership want to build? Mm-hmm. What does the market want us to build? Like you're kind of that middle person that's thinking about all those things. Um, so yeah, to, to have someone that's familiar with it and, and for me to write a book, uh, about, yeah, what are, First of all, how do we define this role, right? Because product can mean so many different things depending on the organization, depending on where you are. Um, I've been very lucky in that I've worked for small scale organizations and um, have actually, because of that, have had to adopt this very holistic role of a product manager because there wasn't anybody else to do that. Mm. So, um, in a way that I'm very grateful for that because it sort of showed me what it's like, you know, in, in, bigger organizations, like the, the role might get siloed or might be like split up into different roles where you have like a product owner and a product manager, and then, you know, ops folks that, that help out in, in various ways. Um, because of my experiences and, and kind of the holistic nature of my product roles, um, I felt, yeah, I, I I was asked to write the book by uh, the publisher, Pact. And uh, I felt that, yeah, I had a, I had a good um, background of what are the practical concerns that came up when I was working those roles? Um, and, and how do I help other people that have that interest in AI? And also maybe they're already... Uh, technical folks and they're thinking about product. So I was towing the line between, you know, the more go to market, like commercial side of product and the uh, managing resources, working with engineering, like more practical side of product as well. Uh, And there weren't that many books about that. So, so that was actually part of the initial engagement. They, they said, well, why don't you tell us, you know, how you're thinking about the book? Um, What do you want to include? You know, obviously we wrote an outline and that had to get improved and all that. Um, But then they said, well, you know, do some research, and we've done some research, and let's kind of talk about, you know, what are the books out there that uh, might be similar to your book? And I and I said there aren't <laughs> there aren't any. I, I saw books about product. I saw books about AI. Uh, I didn't see any books about AI product management, and so I thought, okay, this is important. You know, this is like with especially with all the events that I do that I coordinate and and moderate. You know, like these themes keep coming up, and so. Um, yeah I I think there's a need for a book that really does focus on what are the particulars um, of managing AI products
0: well it's uh, yeah you obviously identified a well I suppose not proactively but a niche that you know you either have these handbooks that are super technical or super high level but if you can kind of cover both um then obviously it's it's gonna be more it's gonna re- be received by more I guess so it's uh, and would you say on, on that it's it's really uh, handbooks really for anyone with an interest in that or currently people who are delivering products or projects
1: I would say it's it's pretty accessible um some of the chapters are pretty in depth uh I do kind of detail most of the popular machine learning uh models themselves so um I definitely talk about all the types of deep learning models that are out there, the the types of neural nets that are out there. I talk about things like linear regression, logistic regression. Um, I I kind of, um, I I wanted, you know, the first third of the book is kind of a lay of the land Mm. of not just product management concepts, but also AI concepts. And then uh, the second part of the book is about Um, creating actually a machine learning native product. So building a a new product with machine learning already in mind. And then the third part of the book is actually um, elevating existing traditional software products into AI products. And and what does that process look like? So um, yeah, and again, I think because product is such an all-encompassing role um, and depending on where you are, it's going to demand different things from you especially stylistically with the company culture and things like that. Um, yeah, to have, to have a book that I think is a fair and, I guess, objective mm-hmm. uh, vi- visual of what does this role look like um, and, and what parts of it, you, you know, for someone to see, like, what parts of it would I like? You know, do I want to get more technical? Do I want to be more on the commercial side? Like, I think those are really important things for product managers to think about. Um, and for anybody to think about, it, you know, if they're interested in a product role, if they're inter- interested in an MLOps role, uh, if they're a data sa- scientist themselves um, or a machine learning engineer themselves to understand how does product think about this. Um, all of that is really important. Um, and yeah, if, if you're if you don't know anything about anything, <laughs> then... <laughs> It still is a good book because it it introduces uh, it in a way that's very plain, you know, and that was actually very important to me because I do think there's a fair amount of gatekeeping when it comes to these kinds of roles Mm -hmm. and these kinds of opportunities. Um, And part of the mysticism uh, actually keeps people out, you know, Uh, uh, especially with all the doom and gloom and, and kind of conversations you hear about now with AI Um, you know, when I, when I started learning, I was like, this is just a label maker. Like, this is just, this is just labeling data. That's it. That's what all of this is, you know? And when that like moment clicked for me, uh, you know, all of the mysticism went away. And Mm. so now I just consider myself like a translator. I'm like, don't believe the hype. It's not going to replace a person. It's not there yet. It's not that smart. Um, you know, (laughs) 100%.
0: Hundred percent. I know uh, there may be a few recruiters listening to this, but I know a lot of them have probably been thinking it's going to replace us. But as long as it's not anytime soon, and I, I, as I mentioned, I'll make sure we share a link because I, um, you know, I think it's hugely valuable for people to get that kind of real insight from someone already doing it. Uh, and as I mentioned at the beginning, you heavily involved in the women in data scene uh, in North America. I know New York's currently obviously the co lead for them. Well, what, what led you to kind of become so involved in, in that women in data scene? What, what was it specifically? Uh,
1: women in data I got involved with very quickly, actually. Um, you know, I I felt the need to have a community um, and I, I my boot camp was online. So I actually didn't meet that many people that were my peers that were also going through the program. Like I, I knew my mentors and the folks that were helping me, uh, but I actually didn't have a network. so. For me, it, it, it served a really functional part of like just broadening my network of people that I know, especially where I live, um, that are also in the field. Um, and that's something that I care about a lot actually, because, you know, at the end of the day, like, yes, we have LinkedIn now and, and depending on how far along you are in your career, you know, maybe you have recruiters reaching out, I'm sure, you know, uh, but yeah, when you, when you're you are new and you're kind of trying to make, um, your abilities as a parent as you can, you kind of, um, you have to nurture that community for yourself. So the ways that I did that was by joining Women in Data, uh, by writing my own articles, by, by getting uh, everything that I was learning out on paper for the world to see um, for a really practical purpose, which was to convince people that I was trying to work with right. that I can do this, right? So um, it, was, it was a way to make my skills uh, evident and to broaden my skills and to find collaborators too. Um, so all of that was really great. Um, but then I have like this very cerebral part of my, my, myself that, uh, you know, I like talking about these concepts. I like, I like divvying out, you know, what is hype and what isn't. And, and, you know, if I can talk to as many people as I can about their perspectives on this industry, then, you know, you get a little bit closer to, to the truth of what it is. Mm. Um, and, and even, just before we, we mentioned, you know, job displacement and it's true. Like this will, this will displace workers. Um, how much it's going to displace workers is still unclear, but we do know at this point that yeah, any role really, even if you're not an AI specifically, but like any role, um, if you can find a way to append your work, somehow with AI that will serve you. uh, And we're going to see like that level of adoption continue to accelerate because um, like, for instance, I have a friend that works in digital marketing and she says, you know, not a day goes by that I don't use chat GPT for my job. Hmm. And I thought about how funny that is because I hear that from a lot of people, you know, and I think we struggle with things like you know, especially when we're talking about white collar workers, like you know we have to create plans, we have to create uh, ideas, put ideas down on paper and and humans really struggle with that, like uh, looking at a blank sheet and having to fill that space with something. um, you know, we're much better at editing something than we are starting from scratch, you know, and so that's where AI is really helpful uh, and that appending can can actually help you in your career. Um but then when you look at you know jobs that are um uh, I, I don't like this term, but, you know, low-skill labor, right? Um, those jobs, like, yeah, can get automated much quicker. Mm. So the risk is there. The the concerns are there. Um, I You know, I don't want to say, like, it's not a human, therefore it's not going to replace jobs. What I mean by that is, like, it, it's not even close to the complex, complexity that we have as far as our creative thinking and troubleshooting and complex problem-solving skills. Like, mm. we're not there yet. Um, but, it, but it is going to impact us for sure.
0: Yeah, it really will be fascinating. And I, uh, you know, I think every recruiter in the land, as I alluded to earlier, was thinking, right, oh, that's us, that's us done for. Um, there's a lot of kind of different, as you right it's, rightly say, different sectors, different walks of life are all looking at AI as a way of thinking, being quite scared about it, but it's about embracing that now it's about, you know, how can you bring that into your daily work? How can, if you can, um how do you upskill um into another sector because it change is coming and i you know we've touched on the women in data piece, and i think uh, from from the research we've done from the conversations we've had you know it all ties into this kind of broader diversity piece and which we're hugely passionate about i know obviously evidently you are as well um in terms of diversity within data and the benefits that brings to teams you know what what do you think probably are the the, the number one number two kind of kind of factors that lead can, can enable a diverse data team
1: mm-hmm. um i think just i mean yes the easy answer is having diverse you know physically diverse people right so men, women, non-binary, all, you know, different races, like having good representation of that is important because you're considering different perspectives. Um, but the other side of it, that's really important that isn't talked about as much is, uh, you know, recognizing downstream impact. Mm. So unless there's a, uh, you know, a research study or unless there's some reason, you know, cause we're, you know, we're in the U S right. Like here in the U S we don't, we don't have data protection. We don't really even have AI regulation to the level that we need it to be. You know, yeah. I mean, all the, the Senate committee hearings and things that are happening right now, um, you know, it's very exciting to see that because uh, we're we're in desperate need of that. And um, by the way, I, I do a monthly book club. Uh, and if you if you're interested in this stuff, please, uh, please reference um, weapons of mass destruction and uh, invisible women to see, you know what is happening? How, how are we actually being hurt by stagnant systems or by a lack of responsibility? Um, and, and there are like rampant, uh, examples of it. So, uh, just a quick one I'll, I'll say is like, you know, even something as simple as like seatbelts, right? Mm Uh, seatbelts are traditionally have traditionally been, um, tested on male bodies. So actually more women died because of wearing a seatbelt, uh, uh, when they're in accidents. Yes. Because it it was not well fitted to the, to their bodies. Uh, so they didn't account for the female, you know, maybe a smaller form or whatever it is when they're designing and, and deploying these, uh, seat bags that, that are, you know, meant to protect your life. Right. Um, so, so things like that, you know, measuring downstream negative, uh, disproportional impact, um, is part of having a diverse, you know, a I I guess, a um, a focus on diversity because it's not just how you build, but it's what you build and how does that impact the greater population? Mm-hmm. Um, so right now, most of the conversations are about, yeah, like higher diverse teams. And I do think that's very important, but it's also important to make sure that the systems, especially when they're autonomous and, and use machine learning or AI, um, you know, they're not, they're not kind of working out this bias that you might not find out for potentially years, hmm. you know.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting uh, use case about the seat belts then it's gonna be for anyone listening it's probably think, oh really? Cool. Is is that kind of uh, is, that, is that really what happened? That that that's kind of crazy when you come to think of it. And I know um it's not just about waving the diversity flag here or saying look we we appeal to a diverse workforce, but it's actually are your living proof of this? Trying to uh, make this tech AI data space more accessible to to women uh, as well. Let, let's be honest. I think the last count we did a twenty eight percent out of the four thousand leaders we identified identified as female, um, which which is crazy. It w- and if you think about that, that's you know seventy two percent aren't. Uh, so in terms of you and when you looked at data and you were coming from sales, you know. You gave a good account earlier, but what advice would you say to any woman listening and thinking, I, I, I want to get into data and tech, but I'm not sure it's for me. I'm not sure the culture is right for me. What, what would you say to them?
1: Um, well, I do think, you know, I don't I don't want to make it, I guess I don't want to make it uh, seem easier than it is, right? Of course, it it of is course. hard. Being a woman in STEM is hard uh, you it, It's not so much that you're not going to find opportunities it's more that um because there are opportunities mm. there's opportunities for anybody okay uh, uh, and people will say even now, uh, oh, it's tough out there for for people that are just coming into the space now and so saturated. Is it like you know if the if the tide is toward companies becoming more data mature and Uh, promoting more data literacy within their organizations, then that means there's going to be more demand for these roles, not less in Mm -hmm. the future. Uh, Particularly if we're using AI and and AI is kind of becoming integrated in more areas of a business, then that actually means that there are more verticals now that are going to have opportunities for you. So first and foremost, I just want to make it abundantly clear to anyone, woman or not, Uh, If you're interested in this field, like there is a place for you and it's going to be a struggle to find the first or second role. But after that, you have experience. You're good. Yeah. Uh, So and then the other side of it is, yeah, if you are a woman, um, the best thing you can do is again make make peers invest in meeting people where you live that work in your field meet them for coffee meet them at networking things and don't treat networking things like this thing we have to do no one has to go to a networking meeting do it because community is the only thing that matters like we could all get laid off tomorrow like we've seen the the you know the The mass layoffs that companies are doing where somehow it's legal for a company to lay off 10,000 people at a time. Right. So this can impact anyone. So our communities is is trusting in our communities that we build in a meaningful way is the best thing you can do to protect yourself and to find opportunities in a way that feels exciting and Mm -hmm. feels rejuvenating, you know, like we don't want to do it in a, in a way that feels fearful because again, the fact is there is opportunity out there and that opportunity will continue. So in that spirit, uh, building communities, um, means that when you have an opportunity, you can help someone else. And when you need help, you have people that you can leverage to, to, to help you. So, um, yeah, but I will say, yeah, the, the issue with STEM and the issue with it is, is more, you know, most of the opportunities I've gotten have been because men have uh, extended those opportunities to yeah. me. So, so it's not gendered quite quite in that way. You know, there there's, um, there is there uh, is I think with women in STEM maybe like that distrust where they feel like their skills mm-hmm. are questioned. And I will say I've experienced that, especially in interviews, where it's almost like. The person doesn't believe me that I know this. You know, really? like wow. like somehow it seems uh, inaccessible that I would understand machine learning. So I've I've felt that, and I think that is a hurdle that women uh, face. Um, but again, these things can be overcome by building a network um, uh, of people and and building trust in that network. Um, And now, you know, I I work for a very diverse company. You know, IWBI is like 65% female um, and there's a lot of uh, female representation actually in the company, especially at high level positions. So um, I I will say that that makes me feel very comforted. You know, I don't I don't feel quite as if it's an uphill battle there. You know, I feel Mm. like it's more welcoming to me, that there's more opportunity for me there. Um, And that feels very nurturing and very safe.
0: That is. It's, it's great to hear. And I think it goes back to your point earlier about, you know, building that network, you know, being proactive, that strength of numbers, the community. Because without that community uh, support and voice, then nothing will inevitably change. It'll be you against the masses and it's nothing will move forward. So that's, no, that's, that's super encouraging. And I, I always like asking this question at the end because certainly someone kind of as passionate and with your background, In term, we touched on the future uh, of AI and we've touched on how it will display certain role functions. But in the kind of next 12, 24 months, wh- where do you see this kind of AI train heading?
1: Um, well, that was kind of the the interest that I had actually in IWBI. I think a lot of companies, you know, especially if you're not, you're in a position where, you understand data strategy, you understand uh, the infrastructure of data, that in many ways is more important than do you understand how to leverage a machine learning model. Hmm. Um, anyone can learn how to put together a project, anyone can learn how to clean data. Um, you know, those are, those are like foundational parts of the role. Um, and they're, they're fun parts of the role. But I would say most companies at this present moment probably have more of a need for data engineering people that understand the data strategy the implications of it downstream than they're they are in need of like actual data scientists machine learning engineers mm. you know and in many ways most industries again outside of big tech most industries are just now getting familiarized with these concepts and in the next 24 months let's say in two years uh, what i see more demand for is how can this company get to a level of data maturity where they're actually able to think about ai as opposed to right now are they ready Mm -hmm. for ai like most companies right now are not Uh, most companies right now would be better served with um you know consultants and the the data pipelines themselves making sure their quality is good um making sure they establish a good baseline and then from there, you know, they'll be ready for for more advanced things. Um, especially now with all the BI tools and kind of data tools that are out there. Like I did a talk last week at Data IQ, you know, um so you know, for something like Data IQ's tools, right? Like those are tools for data scientists, but they could also be tools for data and a- analysts that, you know, are actually leveraging tools to do the work of a data scientist. Mm. So, you know, um, yeah, properly setting things up in a way that's sustainable is really important right now. And then I think, you know, in the next five or six years, maybe those companies that are doing that responsibly now will actually be in a in a position to leverage AI. Because don't forget, like, it's something crazy, like 75, 80% of machine learning projects fail. Yeah. So what's going on right now is companies are very excited about AI and everyone, you know, I saw a TikTok just the other day where it was like companies right now, AI, 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 <laughs> you know, and everyone's talking about AI. Um, and it's like, okay, that's, that's all well and good. But, you know, again, if you don't set, set things up properly, then you're just wasting your time and money. And it's expensive, like having to do to reorganize all this stuff, like you you really are wasting money. Um, if if you're just going out of the bat, hiring 20 machine learning engineers and all they have to show for themselves is a tableau dashboard, like, yeah, you know, I think, I think you're crazy. so
0: right. It's gonna be interesting to see with the ARRs and kind of the uh, VCs, not necessarily pumping as much cash, kind of what their run rate looks like. And uh, for those companies, as you say, gets the infrastructure right, the right people in, uh, the right use case. They will be successful and if they're clever with their cash but if they're just hiring for the sake of it then yeah, they won't be here this time next year no look irene i've really enjoyed the uh, the conversation i love your passion i love your background and i'm sure uh, everyone that's listening is going to be really uh kind of just engaged and interested in, in what you've had to say thank you
1: thank you and just one last comment alex um I do want to make it like resoundingly clear that this is a golden age right Mm now. You know, there's only like five or 10 use cases at this point, at this point. Um, Like we're using AI for like 10 reasons, maybe. So if you're curious, if you're passionate, if you're smart and you can find new ways of using these algorithms for innovative ways, innovative tools, um, the, the, the market will reward you. Your communities will reward you. Um, so, so again, I, I do, I do want people to feel like you know, if they have the interest in this field, like there's never been a better time yeah. to be involved, to get involved. Like this is the most exciting time for all tech innovation. I would say, like it's all been leading up to now, and the capabilities we have now, and the big problems we want to solve with it now.
0: Absolutely. And maybe the rate at, it, at which it's appeared is is unsettled a lot of people. But let's, I've never seen such a quick adoption of new tools, new technology, new change uh, in over 20 years of staffing. And in the last, it almost seems like it's only happened in the last 12 months, which is, uh,
1: I know. Oh, yeah, no, and yeah.
0: I love that. And I, I think people will take a lot of encouragement. You're, you're you know, kind of uh, living and breathing that market now. And you've done it yourself. So thanks so much, Irene. It's been my pleasure to speak with you.